Hello to all my fellow historians and welcome to Manifesting Destiny. I'm Mr. Vanderwall and I will be accompanying you on this historical journey. Throughout this podcast, you'll be given insight into the vast and sometimes strange world of United States history. Each episode, we will tackle an essential question through analysis and storytelling that will leave you smarter and hopefully a bit more curious in the process. Let's get to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our second episode of Manifesting Destiny. So last week, we introduced George Washington and how he shaped the presidency. And this week, we're going to stay with the first president and really dive into how he addresses early challenges of the republic. Now, this is important because Washington's the first president. So everything that he does sets a precedent for the future leaders of the country. Um, These different challenges that he addresses include how to deal with open rebellion, relationships with Native Americans, as well as foreign policy. So our essential question today is going to be, what challenges did the United States face during Washington's administration, and how did he manage them? Let's get to it. So the first problem that Washington has to face actually stems from Hamilton, his trusted Treasury Secretary. So if you remember last episode, Hamilton imposes a tax on whiskey. Now, in Western Pennsylvania, whiskey is one of their main exports. So this tax on whiskey is not going over very well. Um, And it actually ends up turning pretty violent. In July of 1794, an armed mob ends up attacking tax collectors and burns down several buildings. Now, this armed protest becomes known as the Whiskey Rebellion. And it's the first time in the young nation's history where there's violent rebellion happening. So what George Washington decides to do is going to set the precedent going forward. And what Washington and his advisors end up deciding to do is to crush this rebellion using force. So by sending in the military, this sends the message that the government's going to use force when necessary to maintain or keep social order. Now, while the Whiskey Rebellion deals with American citizens in the state of Pennsylvania, Washington and the new government still had difficult problems in the West. Washington was extremely worried about European influence and ambitions um, in the Northwest Territory. So what he does is he signs treaties with Native Americans. So he's hoping that by signing these treaties, Native Americans are going to be less likely to listen to the British or listen to the Spanish. However, American settlers <laughs> ignore the treaties altogether, and they move on to lands, promise the Native Americans, and pretty soon fighting breaks out. So how Washington deals with this is he sends the army um, under the command of General Arthur St. Clair to restore order in the Northwest Territory. In November of 1791, St. Clair's forces are actually defeated by Little Turtle, who's the chief of the Miami people. And this results in 600 American soldiers being killed. Um, Now, many Americans believe that an alliance with France would also help them defeat the British and Spanish and Native Americans in the West. 
Now, the possibility of French involvement actually prompted Britain to take action in the West. So in 1794, the British government urges Native Americans to destroy American settlements. So this is Washington's worst nightmare, right? The British are actually telling the Native Americans to destroy American settlements. This is why Washington signed treaties in the first place. He was trying to avoid this happening. But the British are very, very interested in the Northwest Territory in that Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin region. So much so that the British actually build a brand new fort in Ohio. Now, in response, the Native Americans demand that all of the settlers north of the Ohio River leave the territory. Washington, however, sends another army. This one under the command of Anthony Wayne, who was a former Revolutionary War general, but experienced nonetheless. And he is sent in there to challenge the Native American demands. So in August of 1794, his army actually defeats the Native Americans. Um, and the Native American force consisted of over a thousand soldiers. So these soldiers are actually led by uh, Shawnee Chief um, Blue Jacket. And this battle is famous, and it's known as the Battle of Fallen Timbers. Um, but the Battle of Fallen Timbers crushes any Native American hopes of keeping their land. So in the Treaty of Greenville, which is signed in 1795, Native Americans agree to surrender most of the land in what is now Ohio. Now, this treatment of the Native Americans is cruel. And there's no other real way to put it but cruel. Um, and using military force to force Native Americans out of their land is something that we will see repeated in the coming years. So where Washington actually had a chance to, you know, keep the peace with Native Americans, and while he did try with the treaties, um, the use of force in retrospect is a very controversial decision. Um, and that's something that's worth thinking about. Should he, or was he justified in using force? And if not, what else could he have done? Now, we're going to step away from the actual United States right now. And we're going to talk about something that's pretty relevant to Washington's legacy, which is how he planned to deal with international relations. Now, Washington was firm on his belief in neutrality. He really wanted to focus on the United States and not so much with what's going on in the rest of the world. However, that's going to change with the French Revolution because most Americans cheer the French Revolution in 1789 because partially the French Revolution is inspired by the American Revolution and it's very similar. So... Public opinion on the revolution is pretty happy until the reign of terror um, happens and everybody gets their head chopped off and the French Revolution turns violent. So now public opinion in the United States is pretty split on what to do with France and if they should intervene. Now, 1793 rolls around and Britain and France go to war, two of the most powerful nations in the world, if not the two most powerful nations in the world. And... Some Americans sympathize with France and others support Britain. Washington hopes to keep the United States neutral. 
So not picking either side in the conflict between France and Britain. And while this might have been uh, an attainable goal at the start, as time passed, uh, remaining neutral becomes significantly more difficult. So the French try to involve the United States in their conflict with Britain. So what they do is they send diplomat Edmund Zunet. And I don't speak French, so I probably butchered that. But he was sent to the United States to recruit American volunteers to attack British ships. So in response, Washington issues a proclamation of neutrality, which prohibits American citizens from fighting in the war. It also bars French and British warships from American ports. So Washington's really trying. He's trying really hard to stay neutral. but. The British end up capturing American ships, or excuse me, the British end up capturing American ships that trade with French. And what they do is they force the American sailors into the British Navy. This is going to be an issue for a number of years, okay? But this practice became known as impressment. Okay, so British just kidnapping essentially American sailors and forcing them into the British Navy. So in response, what Washington does is he sends John Jay, who's the chief justice of the Supreme Court, to negotiate a peaceful solution with Britain. And it results in Jay's treaty. Now, what Jay's treaty does is a number of things. But first and foremost, the British agreed to withdraw from American soil. So that fort they were building in Ohio, um, Britain says they'll take their troops out of there. No worried about it. However, the treaty does not deal with the issue of impressment or British interference with American trade. And Washington found fault with the treaty, but he realizes that it would end in crisis. Um, Washington was very adamant and outspoken against this treaty. He believed that the act of impressment needed to be stopped. Um, the interference with American trade um, needed to be stopped. He saw that the, it could potentially lead to crisis down the road. However, sent, the Senate narrowly approves it. Um, there's fierce debate, but it's not the best accepted. Uh, but it's not the best treaty that's ever done in the United States. People aren't that thrilled with it. But, you know, the Senate thought that it was more important at the time that British troops were off of American soil. Um, and that's what they went forward with. Now, this wasn't the only treaty that happened under Washington's administration. You also have a treaty with Spain. So once Jay's treaty got out to the rest of the world, Spanish leaders were very, very fearful that the U.S. and Great Britain are now like teaming up, okay, and they're gonna knock out Spain and take the modern-day United States off for themselves. So, in order to make them feel a little bit better, um, Thomas Pickney, or Pickney, I've been teaching for a couple of years and never learned how to say his name, but he was sent to Spain in order to settle these differences between the U.S. and the Spanish. So. In 1795, Pickney's treaty um, is struck between the Spain or the Spanish and the United States. 
and it grants Americans free navigation of the Mississippi River and the right to trade at New Orleans, um, all of which is under strong Spanish influence. So this is going a far away um, to make peaceful relations between the Spanish and the United States. But big win for the United States, anyway you slice it. So as all presidents must do, uh, Washington ends up leaving office after two terms. And that's important because he sets the precedent of not seeking a third term. Now, I know a lot of people think that presidents legally can only serve two terms, and that's true now, but it wasn't during Washington's time. Actually, serving for two terms is going to set the precedent up until FDR um, in the Second World War and the Great Depression. Um, but because Washington only serves two terms, the future presidents are going to follow suit. And in his farewell address, he does two things. He, number one, he attacks political parties. If Washington would walk into the Capitol building today in 2021 and see the Democrats, Republicans, Green Party candidates, he would be infuriated. He was very, um, he was he was frightful of what that type of division could do to the country. Um, and he also urges um, the rest of the country to not be as involved in foreign affairs. He urges the citizens of the United States, um, observe good faith and justice towards all nations. He states it is our true policy to steer clear of permanent alliances. And these parting words influenced the nation's foreign policy for more than 100 years. Washington's farewell address really encapsulated what he believed in and the vision he had for the country going forward. Now that wraps up our second lesson of the Federalist era and essentially wraps up Washington's presidency. But before we leave, I'd like to revisit our essential question of what challenges did the United States face under Washington's administration and how he dealt with them. So we take a look at the Whiskey Rebellion or Open Rebellion in the United States. And what does Washington do? He sends in the military. When we look at Native American relations and it encapsulates everything because Washington tries to make treaties but ends up having to use military force to force them off their lands. When we look at foreign policy, Washington tries to remain neutral. And for his parting words, he urges future presidents in the country to remain neutral as well. Now, please join us next week as we take a look at the last ever federal president, uh, John Adams. Until next time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.